One of the major ambitions of the review of good medical practice and a really strong message that came back to us through the consultation was the importance of culture and the impact that it has on patient safety. Hello and welcome. I'm Dr Claire Stapleton and for today's podcast, I'll be joined by the host of the Real World series, Jalen Simsek. Great to be with you, Jalen. Thank you, Claire, and it's great to be doing this podcast with you. This is a bit of a different podcast because unlike our previous episodes where we've usually hosted clinicians, researchers and such like to discuss medical issues, today we'll be joined by Yale Bradbury and Tista Chakravarti Gannon from the GMC. The reason why doing this is to discuss the forthcoming changes to good medical practice, which, as you all likely know, are the core professional standards for all registered doctors in the UK. We'll start the series off by learning about how the GMC went about reviewing the 2013 version, who they engaged with and what they heard. Jalen, would you like to introduce our guests and podcast today? Happy to, Claire. So today we're joined by Yale Bradbury, who is a policy advisor in the GMC standards team, who has been working for the last three years on the development and implementation of the updated Good Medical Practice 2024. Alongside that, we're joined by Tista Chakravarti Gannon, who is the GMC's Head of Operations Outreach England, overseeing a team of advisors who work with doctors and employers across the country on a range of practical and ethical professional issues. So I would like to start off by briefly explaining why we're here today. As my colleague, Dr. Stapleton has mentioned, to discuss the good medical practice, which sets out the professional standards for all doctors in the UK. The last time the good medical practice was updated was in 2013, and the updated version will come into effect on 30th January 2024. So our listeners are likely to be asking, why the change? Why now? And what are we hoping these updated standards will achieve? Tista, if you could please answer that question. Well, while certain ethical principles consistently stand the test of time, uh, taking confidentiality as an example, standards do need to evolve with society, with the social contract, if you will. And a lot's changed since 2013 in medical practice and in society more broadly. We've had movements like Me Too, like Black Lives Matter. We've seen the Shocking, but unfortunately not surprising reports about racism in medicine, about sexism in medicine. And we have got an increasingly diverse workforce who can all too often be subject to that unequal treatment. So I think there's a real responsibility there. And finally, in society, there is now a burgeoning paradigm shift, I guess, from not being discriminatory to being actively anti-discrimination. And in the new standards, that's something that we talk about. We talk about tackling discrimination and going to that question in terms of what we want to achieve. That is one of the things that we hope the standards will help with by providing that additional lever for change. Thanks, Tister. And if I can just add as well, 
we really need to make sure that the professional standards described in good medical practice are fair and reasonable and that all doctors uh, working in the UK can achieve them, even with the huge pressures that all doctors are under at the moment. So how did the GMC engage with the medical community and other stakeholders during the process of revising the standards? And how did you bring in these diverse perspectives when shaping the changes? Tista, perhaps you'd like to address that question. I think that's a really important question and ensuring that that diverse voice was represented was something that we were really passionate about. So we worked hard to promote the consultation and proactively engage with a variety of diverse groups. Thinking back, we ran more than 200 engagement events. My team ran many of those. We ran focus groups. We reached out to stakeholders and engaged specialist research companies as well to ensure that we could hear from seldom heard groups. So for example, refugees and from uh, people subject to domestic abuse. Now, there are also several membership organizations that we're really grateful to. But just to name a few, we ran joint events with Medical Women's Federation, the Association of LGBTQ plus doctors and dentists, the British Association of Physicians of Indian Origin, the Sudan Doctors' Union UK, British Islamic Medical Association, and more. And I think, for me, their expertise was just so invaluable to enable us to have really honest conversations with members about how the standards might work in practice in different settings and across different career stages as well. And that really shaped what we've got now. So all of that meant that we ultimately heard from more than 4,600 individuals from 47 stakeholder organizations and crucially, looking across all the protected characteristics, the response was representative of both the wider populace and also doctors on the register. And that's really uplifting and give, that stand, give the standards as well that credibility as a shared contract. Tisto, you mentioned 200 engagement events. That must have taken a lot of time, planning and effort. But I'm sure our listeners would quite appreciate that you, uh, the GMC has taken the time to listen to diverse perspectives. And after, I suppose, one of the questions that I wanted to just have, and this could be on our listeners' mind is, what specific changes have you made that will most impact the day-to-day practice of doctors? Any particularly important highlights from the updated standards that you would like to bring to our audience's attention? Perhaps, Yale, if you could start on that one. So the standards have been updated in five key areas, and we're hoping to delve into some of these in a bit more detail over the next few uh, podcasts with you. There are uh, three relating to workplace culture um, and two relating to patient care. So promoting patient-centered care and supporting continuity of care and safe delegation for the patient-facing duties. Then we have championing fair and inclusive leadership. And in relation to workplace culture, helping to tackle discrimination 
and all importantly, creating respectful, fair and compassionate workplaces for colleagues and patients. One of the major ambitions of the review of good medical practice and a really strong message that came back to us through the consultation was the importance of culture and the impact that it has on patient safety. A range of public inquiries and independent reviews since medical practice was last updated have increased the number of discussions about culture, leadership, fairness, and multidisciplinary working over the past few years. So our response to those discussions is what you'll see in the new good medical practice. We wanted to be clearer about how good medical practice relates to the GMC's fitness to practice processes. So in other words, doctors want to know, am I going to be up before the GMC if I can't practice to these standards? And what if it isn't my fault? It's important to say that while good medical practice has a role in fitness to practice processes, it isn't a fitness to practice document. In fact, it's a description of what a good doctor does. The standards describe good practice, but they aren't a set of rules. Doctors should apply the standards using their judgment in the specific circumstances that they face. So the new introductory section emphasizes that if a doctor is reported to us, we will always consider the individual circumstances of the case and take into account the context of the concern. We'll ask ourselves questions like, how serious is the concern? What's the doctor's working environment like? What's their role and their level of experience? And how much is the situation described about the doctor's actions specifically? And how much might system factors or interpersonal factors in the doctor's working environment play? And how the doctor responds to the concerns being raised is really important too. Do they have insights? Have they taken steps to address the issues raised in the concern? All these factors have a bearing in whether we'll take a complaint forward and investigate it. And the standards in and of themselves represent what good practice looks like and what all doctors are trying to practice to every day. That's amazing, Yellen. I think that, you know, there's there's a lot of understandable and admirable ambition and obviously quite a bit of change for doctors who are going to be following this guidance to to take on board and take into their own practice. So how will the GMC support the profession to be able to understand and apply these changes to their everyday practice? And how are you managing to communicate these changes to the medical community so that doctors can engage and use them? Yep, as you say, that there is quite a bit there. So uh, we're using as many channels as we can access, including today. So, you know, thank you very much for having us. I mean, ultimately, this is a once in a decade change. So it is really incumbent on us to support the profession in understanding and applying, just as you say, Claire, the changes. So in addition to using all the usual channels that you would expect, like our own e-newsletter, writing out to doctors, social media, and creating dedicated web pages. And just as an aside on that, I do encourage listeners to look at those web pages because there are some really useful resources there. But in addition to all of that, we are doing a lot of engagement work as well. For example, we're working with healthcare leaders and organisations across the UK to make sure doctors are supported to apply the standards locally in the environments within which they work. 
So that includes us working with responsible officers, with directors of medical education to really help that implementation. Yale talked about some of the key themes earlier. And from, from my experience, colleagues sometimes find it helpful to translate those themes, the standards themselves into practice. So to help them do that, we're also running workshops to bring the standards to life. And that's through things like case-based discussion, exercises, video resources. And I'm going to use a phrase that I used earlier. It's a phrase that I use a lot. The standards, to my mind, they are a lever for positive change. Whether we're talking tackling discrimination, whether we're talking patient-centered care, and the workshops really help engage doctors with the how. So how do you use GMP as that lever for change on those themes? And we can include details about all of that in the podcast description. Thank you, Tista, and thank you very much, Yale. And, and that was a fascinating insight into, you know, the overview of, of how the changes to good medical practice have come about. And and, you know, I particularly like your expression of using this as a positive lever for change rather than a, a stick to beat doctors with and punish with them. And I imagine that will be well received uh, by, by doctors in the UK. And so thank you very much, both of you, for that. And with that, we reach the end of today's podcast, Good Medical Practice 2024, The Essentials. Thank you so much to Tista and to Yale uh, for joining us today. To learn more about what we've covered today and who you've been listening to, please take a look in the podcast description and you can listen to more in this series of short discussions where MPS talk to the GMC about these key changes to good medical practice. I've been your host, Dr. Claire Stapleton. And I've been your host, Jalen Simsek. Thank you for listening. 